Quiz hot shot. You've got two movies. One is an action classic. The other makes every possible bad decision a sequel can make. What do you do? What do you do? You shoot your girlfriend. <laughs> uh, guys, we're talking about speed and speed two today on Development Hell. This is a podcast about movies, TV, media, and the long bumpy roads that it took to get made. Uh, I'm your host, Kyle Anderson. Uh, joined to the left of my Zoom call is <laughs> Oh, no, I wanted to guess. <laughs> and uh, to the right uh, is, of course, Richard Humphrey. What up, you stinky fiends? Hitting the blunt like a stinky fiend himself. Kyle, can um, you turn down a smidgy smidge? Yeah, no, I am. Thanks. I'm hot. Yeah, you're I'm definitely hot. Yeah, like, those right initial waveforms are why like we thing. started mastering this show. If Kyle's <laughs> wavelengths go below this amount. We're <laughs> all go below forty decibels. All right, he has to stay this loud. This is my podcast called Volume. <laughs> become inaudible at any point sound oh man so yeah we're talking about speed uh and its sequel speed to cruise control and uh, i brought up two movies today for the first time on the podcast because it's important i think to talk about both because the development hell really happens between the two movies with the sequel after this like unlikely huge smash hit. I love this movie. Uh, Gina and I rewatched it. I haven't seen it in a while and Gina had never seen it before and we had such a fucking good time. It's just such a fun fast-paced action movie but I want to know what you guys think because Spike has never seen it and I know it's uh, sort of one of Richard's all-time faves. Yeah, I I just know like it's one of those in that I'm sure we all have that list of movies we're embarrassed to say we've never seen. Mm-hmm. Um, where we may have even in one point in our lives referred to it in, to make a point, <laughs> but not knowing what we're really referring to. You just, it, but it's like a premise that carries itself so significantly that I've like, never seen you Fargo. The pitch for it, and you've kind of seen the movie. Sure, like, sure. Yeah, like I've never seen Fargo, but like I, I get the gist of it. Same with Bourne. I've never <laughs> yeah, seen Bourne, any Bourne. Oh, and that's the mistake. <laughs> I know. Hey, we all we know. There's not <laughs> even that many of them yet. <laughs> um, but it's. I texted you guys that it, it's this great. Well, okay. So the, on one hand, it's this great thing where it's this premise of what if the bad guy's plan was a really great elevator pitch for a, for an action movie. <laughs> which is like 88 minutes or crank like crank is the other great example of like the bad guy made it so i have to be a badass action guy for the whole day <laughs> yeah and i'm gonna have to get help from like a guy from lincoln park and a guy from it's always sunny like it's this perfect plan that makes for a great movie and same with this but on the other hand it's got that weird thing that is in the pacing of these like movies from the 80s and 90s that a lot of the movie is not on the bus which is where the movie is really working like it's bookended by why are we here scenes and and i will i will uh sort of talk about that because that is sort of part of the the um conceits that Yost sort of made in the original script I I like the the opening eventually becomes clear. Like I need this to understand 
uh, um the a that you know kian i i i guess i'm what i'll say is i don't know why i needed as much as i got in that pre-bus stuff and then post-bus stuff is like there's 30 minutes left and we got off the bus this isn't it's like when schwarzenegger gets in the jet at the end of true lies and you're like this seems like you're not going to get in the jet for 10 minutes this is going to be a while longer like there's a, i thought we were done on the bridge and now we're getting in a jet and i would like to go home <laughs> yeah i think uh it is interesting like all the stuff um i'll, I'll sort of talk about because i don't talk about that much in the in the script but the uh the, the the third act on the subway was sort of inspired by this film silver streak which is like a <laughs> 1976 <laughs> comedy and he was like what if silver streak was an action sequence <laughs> that's a real that Richard Humphrey big, decision. That's that a, was a real big third act that is, breakthrough. That is, that is a real big Richard Humphrey idea of like, but what if the third act was like a hot take on a comet? What if the t- hot tub was a time machine and it was cool? <laughs> right. Well, it's kind of like the beginning. The beginning is paced so strangely that it's like you feel. I constantly felt like I started in the middle yeah um and then the ending works as if i watched the wrong movie before this like i'm like wait, <laughs> i what, think what, that the what, what has been stuff? set up because there is so much that's been dropped and now we are this is a subway yeah. gun movie now i think the before stuff is really just about giving a shit about jeff daniels you know but that and denies us of like it's Jeff Daniels. Put if he's in focus, I'm probably yeah. going to be pretty bummed when he dies. Yeah, like or we like all whatever. Know like, I, I, I just I don't want him to. At that time, though, I don't want like, anything in, bad to happen to Jeff Daniels. At that time in his career, nobody did either, you know. And it was just like it felt like there was also we got to give Jeff Daniels more screen time because he's Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Also, so <laughs> there was like a one year period where people were saying that. They were he had, had a nice nine months of people really want me to be in movies well and and we'll sort of talk about that more but that that ending chunk and that beginning chunk are sort of what john debont added to the film after coming on as director and subsequently is it John or Jan? Because I think it's Jan Debont. Jan Debont. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I heard it both in interviews, so I'm not positive. But uh, Jan Debont. Um, those are sort of the two big sequences that he sort of had a big part in in adding to the project. And Speed Two Cruise Control is sort of like a whole movie of like those kinds of sequences where they don't feel that connected to everything else and it feels weird and like out of place each time well i did not realize like that he's not necessarily a director sorry he's not cheating looking at his we're we're, we're gonna talk about that we're gonna talk about all that so so so, yeah so richard let me get your let me hear your little thoughts real quick um well one uh what was it, one of the first or two episodes you talk about like how I had like a bunch of tapes growing up of like just things I watched like mm-hmm, Speed yeah. was like one of the big ones because it's a, absolutely was my grandma's favorite movie. It was definitely Keanu Reeves's like niche was VHS's you just kind of watched because they were there. Exactly. And like, I don't know, something about this movie, like my grandma loved this and Aliens were just like two of her like favorite things to always put on. So I was sort of just, just like cool raised. Grandma. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, I um, I thought about it. And Kyle, we've had long talks about uh, my mother's takes on movies mm-hmm. and how they're mm-hmm. awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, damn. Like, What's an example? Um, she thinks that Meet the Parents is worse than Meet the Fockers uh, because in Meet the Parents, they're too mean to Ben Stiller. She has hot takes on the Fockerverse. <laughs> Spike is making not, that's Spike not, is making faces that he doesn't disagree. That's one of the best takes I've heard from a Humphrey. <laughs> Does she think Little Fockers is about video games? <laughs> and we talked about that on the podcast that the tenant no. thing was video games. No, we should explain I, and I don't that. want to. <laughs> Richard's take on tenant is that it's a movie that's a video game, and Spike thinks that that's my, my take is that it's a, it's a barely a movie. <laughs> yeah, because it's a video game. <laughs> no. So it even has the Skyrim opening. Did you read? I'm sorry. No, no, no. I want to talk I want to say that the the best. My best. Here's what sums up my opinion on Tenet is that Chris Nolan was just interviewed, and he has to go through this question every time he puts out a movie. <laughs> Which is people bringing up to him that his sound mixes are hot garbage. They are like everything cranked to 11 and and literally everything. And every time he is asked a question like this, he says, that's not my fucking problem. They should fix the way. It's a very aggressive. He'll say dumb adjectives like it's an aggressive muscular mix. It's like, I'm sorry, you have to if you're explaining your sound mix, if you're explaining every part of your movie down to the sound mix. You haven't really made a movie. You have assembled. You have a, you have assembled your movie, <laughs> and you put it out and said, "I'm not quite done, but I think we should put this out." I just think he literally made the third part of a movie and told everyone it was the first part of like a trilogy, and like we're all stumped on what the rest of this thing is, and he's like trying to sell us on the rest of it like a fucking Ponzi scheme. And that's what I kind of don't like is that he's like, oh, yeah, there's more to this story. I'll fill it all in. But you'll also get cool action shit. And that's what I'm like uh, on. But I do think it's a wonderful piece of action that you have to watch three times over the same movie. You know, I'm liking Little Fockers or Meet the Fockers more and more (laughs) as you talk about Tenet. So so let's let's dive into the meat of the episode here. Tenet is bad. It is is bad. We are, they are, they are, they are split. New listeners weigh in. New listeners weigh in. Um, so to start it off, uh, Speed is written by screenwriter Graham Yost, uh, who created Justified and The Americans. Uh, now, he was having a conversation with his dad in 1985. And I think this is the kind of conversation that like we've had with a lot of our family members where they're telling you about a movie that they watched on TV that day. And he was telling uh, Graham about this movie called Runaway Train. And during the conversation, his dad like somehow confused him and Graham Yost thought that the train couldn't slow down because of a bomb. But in reality, it's just a movie about a train with like the brakes are out, like the engine won't stop or whatever. Right. Uh, so years later, Graham Yost sees the movie 
it keeps like waiting for like the bomb thing and it never comes and then the movie ends and he's like what the hell i thought there was like a bomb mm. on the train and it couldn't slow down and he was like well screw it man i'm gonna write that movie uh it's actually interesting because uh kurosawa put out like this i guess this like paper or whatever like all these ideas for movies that he was like i'll never make these movies but these movies could be made by whoever which is like right. a very insane cool baller move uh and yeah. one of one of them was the idea of a of a bullet train that can't slow down because the the tube is rigged with explosives and that got made into a movie in japan in the 70s but as an american movie i don't really think that graham yost knew about that or whatever but i i do think that this is legitimately how he thought of the movie um so he decided to make it about uh, a bus being forced to travel at 20 miles per hour to avoid uh an explosive that was planted on board and then one of his friends was like that's really slow you should make it like 50 miles per hour so it's like scarier and like the bus can't stop right most of the best <laughs> sequences here are are entirely because of the speed like it's this great mm -hmm. premise where because of that speed you the second he's like he leaves the payphone and runs to his car you're like i don't know how he's even going to start talking to the people on the bus let alone get on the bus and this is assuming that the highway is finished <laughs> <laughs> well and, and you know what i have part of this that is about exactly that and what about oh. the uh, what about the unfinished famous hollywood subway a lot of stuff is unfinished. <laughs> yeah, a lot of unfinished stuff. Um, so let's see. Now, uh, the films uh, end, like I said, was inspired by the movie Silver Streak. Uh, and Yost originally named the film Minimum Speed, reflecting the fact that, you know, you couldn't go past a minimum speed. But he realized that that would immediately put a negative connotation on the title. So title. he just, he yeah, just renamed it Speed. Um, which speed is a good title, I think. Minimum speed, bad title, but speed, good title. Yeah, I don't, I don't see any great use of the word minimum in in a movie title at all. Minimum speed would be like the prequel. Yep, about like toddler Keanu. <laughs> it's a little, yeah, you see how how is how that guy's hands got that way. <laughs> so. Uh, Yost's initial script took uh, place completely on the bus and there was no elevator intro scene uh, and the bus in the second act into the third act would have been driven around Dodger Stadium so they could keep it going in a circle. Cool. Um, and then it would have culminated with the bus running into the Hollywood sign and destroying it. Uh, which is very like young screenwriter, like <laughs> we're just right. the movie was a roller coaster. Well, that's very, I mean, what is when does does Conair come out before or after this? Because that's similarly similarly like, what if this ends and they destroy Las Vegas? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, this was like uh, ninety eight, maybe. And you can maybe say, Kyle, I mean, I don't know. Is Dodger Stadium even close to the Hollywood sign? I mean, not like particularly. I mean, there would be incredible traffic between the two. That's the thing is the, do the, Hollywood the Hollywood sign. Yeah, it's so curvy up in those roads that to keep a bus going 50 miles per hour up there would That's be like... That seems pretty difficult. physically impossible. Um, Especially so to be in destroying speeds. 
So upon finishing the script, uh, Yost took his idea to Paramount Pictures, who actually expressed interest in greenlighting the film and chose uh, John McTiernan due to his, uh, you know, films Predator and Die Hard. Um, however, Which this is Mc- so clearly a Die Hard. This is Die Hard on a bus. This is when right. yeah, movies yeah. are being pitched that way. And, yeah, and it's just keep- like, what if we make Die Hard? And keep yeah, that in idea in your mind because later on that is sort of the key that gets that made me decide we're going to do this as an episode. Now, um, listeners, <clears throat> keep that idea in your mind. <laughs> now, however, uh, McTiernan eventually Even the dirty declined. Shirt. Yeah, that's true. You know, like um, the dirty ass shirt at the end. Ugh. McTiernan eventually declined to do the movie, feeling that the script was too much of a diehard ripoff, uh, and actually suggested. Jan DeBont, uh, who agreed to direct because he had experience being the DP on action movies, including Die Hard and Hunt for Red October. Now, DeBont really wanted his own action movie franchise because he was so close to Die Hard and he felt like he was such a big part of... It sounds like in interviews, he kind of feels like he half directed that movie like all the action and stuff that people really liked. So he was like, I feel like if somebody just puts me in the driver's seat, I can do something just as good by myself. So he kind of found this project and he was like, this is the one, like this is a good vehicle for me as a director. I love the case study of, of the, the cinematographer turned director. Mm -hmm. Um, It has rarely worked out well. And I think it it has, it's a, it's a matter of like different, it's this, both positions have to delegate, but it's completely different language. There's you know, there's the, there's a it can show who is working as who was working as a craftsman and who was actually engaging in their stories. Um, because I know Barry Sonnenfeld was the Coen brothers first cinematographer and went on for at least, you know, early in his career was making really great stuff. And Sonnenfeld, that's why I was so interested. To, I just read that he was a DP. Mm-hmm. Sonnenfeld said that the big thing he learned watching other DPs become directors was um, to hire like a like the best like to completely go hands off on the technical stuff mm-hmm. or and else that you, is, like a lot of times you see them dp themselves or things like that you know like wally fister made transcendence i've never seen it i don't know if you guys have seen it <laughs> i've never no. seen it either now right yeah i don't yeah completely but, but, like, but completely I'll, anonymous i'll say that he uh he definitely handles the second movie. He definitely handles cruise control like a technical problem. The way that a DP approaches something where he's like, let's shoot this and, and we're going to solve all these technical issues. We're going to do all this, this, these big stunts that require all these, this technical prowess. It's going to yeah. be, you know, huge action piece motivated film. I was watching too, like two and it was just not at all speed. You know, like, yeah, in essence, like even Sandra Bullock as a character wasn't like the same character. It's crazy that she's in another one of these stories. Yeah. And where you're like Jurassic Park has now become a series of things that happen to these five people instead of. Yeah. Well, like, well, like you know, in, a, in a similar hubris. way that, that Die Hard is like, what is yeah. the cosmic well, yes. curse placed it's, on this man? It is <laughs> the most unlucky superhero 
I don't, yeah. If uh, if Speed Two had been as good as Die Hard Two, though, like we would have had nine more speeds. Oh like, yeah, that was, the, that, that was that was the clincher. Was Speed Two just well, wasn't? The, yeah, it, it, like wasn't. The problem good. is yeah. that is that Speed Two is no Keanu. It doesn't exist. It's yeah. a movie that doesn't exist. It's a sequel that you're like surprised it's has the fucking one. room, you know? It's, it's, or it's <laughs> no, it's like Grease 2 or something. You're like, what the fuck? There's a second That's one of those? Is, it seems like it's a um a like TV or Redbox sequel that accidentally came out in theaters. Dude, yeah, like that Romy and Michelle's high school reunion prequel with uh, Catherine Yeah, it's Heigl. like a prequel to the Romy and Michelle's high school reunion movie. Yeah. Which, honestly, and here, like is, here is just my like that. pitch that it. I feel like would actually work. <laughs> uh would just be like have it take place exactly when speed one ends like 10 seconds after and they just get a call and they're like there's another bomb it's on 10 buses you know what i mean like that's just just raise the stakes up you know what i mean just, you, oh Which you thought sort of we were the, you thought we were the only cops that were upset you know what i mean like there's a t there's more of them you know than just this guy and that's why Die Hard Three works because it's the brother coming back. Like it's the domino mm-hmm. for something like this. It has to be dominoes falling. It can't be serial like. And then in this week, she's on a boat that's really fast. Or she, I don't know what happens in Speed Two, but Speed Two was Poseidon. It was just like the ships going down. You know. <laughs> okay. 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 So let's. So I. I we're we're talking about a lot of stuff that we're going to get to. So yeah, I get I'm looking into Romy so, and Michelle in the beginning. So. Uh, <laughs> Despite a promising script uh, from Yoast, Paramount passed, uh, Paramount passed on the project. Uh, the head of Paramount felt that audiences wouldn't want to be... He was like quoted as being like, nobody wants to be on a bus for two hours. You don't want to go to the movies be on a bus for two hours? <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Which is that. like, that's such a rich guy take. Um, but okay. So... Uh, Devon and Yost took the project to 20th Century Fox, uh, who had also distributed Die Hard. So Devon had sort of some ties over there with some with some people from Die Hard, uh, and Fox agreed to greenlight the project um, on the condition that the action sequences in the film uh, that there are action sequences in the film other than Ooh. on the bus. So they were like, "We want something. We want a third act off the bus, and we want a first act thing to establish them off the bus." And that first act um, thing, they uh, they. T- they do the uh, the classic screenwriting uh, hack of uh, kill the security guard, you know, like there's save the cat, there's kill the security guard, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so, debauch, debauch, what a almost sig- crippling mistake. Right. So Debont then suggested that the film start off with a bomb in an elevator in an office building because he had an experience while shooting Die Hard where he was trapped in an elevator for 10 hours on the 40th floor and had to climb his way to escape like through an elevator hatch. Hey, those scenes are Whoa. good though. Like Are you just thinking of that scene from Die Hard where he climbs up at 10 stories and goes into an elevator? Did he like crawl through and say this is what a TV dinner feels like and then he got the shot? <laughs> well, so so like can we but, do a 50? And well, that's kind of like this is what a TV dinner feels like is sort of like what it seems like Debont loved about those movies is sort of like the one-liner like cheesiness, yeah. and that's Which, what he's sort the of other thing that almost destroys this movie. I'm he's trying; he's constantly trying to put those lines in, yeah, and 
speed two cruise control has like almost exclusively like oh i'm so sad i missed a it character getting sprayed with water and then he'll be like you're soaked scumbag and like, punch <laughs> you, like you know it's bad and, um, they say a lot that relationships born out of uh like catastrophe rarely succeed and he even says it to a 15 year old deaf girl yeah, he gets. There's a weird thing with a 15 year old deaf girl, like telling him. Oh, that's that, not a joke. In, no. no, in the second movie, this 15 year old deaf girl like wants to fuck him and like lets him know with like a note. It's Wait, weird. Have, weird. She's like, it's Alex, to that. Alex Parrot uh, or Alex uh, Patrick or uh, Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick. I'm sorry, his name is Alex in the movie. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> That Let's movie. see. Uh, Yost used the uh, opening elevator scene to establish Tavern as being clever enough to overcome the villain, which is something he wanted to do in the script. And he felt like, well, if I have to add this scene, um, I at least want it to feel like the like tricking Medusa into looking at their own reflection sort of thing. Um and so he was like, I'll at least try and do that with it. Uh, so Yost decided to conclude the film on a subway uh, to have the final plot twist not involve the action on the bus at all. Um, after hearing about these two scenes being added, Fox immediately approved the project. I don't know why that is the thing that can push this across the finish line. Like, I don't see how you read a script where all that stuff on the bus is intact and you don't think it's going to work. Fox You're is like, like if a bunch of shit happens in an elevator, this is going to be a go picture. I but, just no, notice how much Fox is a studio that one makes all the development hell, like most of the development hell movies you talked about uh, run through 20th Century Fox at some point, and that most mm-hmm. of their decisions are okay, but also if you do this other bad thing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I would I would say I like the elevator stuff and I, I don't do. mind it. I think I think the movie needs it to work. Um I don't think it needs the uh subway stuff and honestly the subway feels like that could have been the second movie to have it be on subway trains. 100%. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like just save that yeah. for the sequel and do that. You know what I mean? Like the movie if the movie had ended with him escaping with her onto a subway train and you're like holy shit i can't wait for speed two when he goes and saves her off the subway train like i'm in you know what i mean and he's still fucking alive you know and it's like (laughs) what and he's the driving the fucking subway that's how you (laughs) right from but from what i understand like this was pretty much like the whole point of this is this is one movie Mm -hmm. yes so um Let's see. Uh, about a month before shooting the script, uh, Yost receives a uh, revised draft from an unnamed author uh, that Fox had commissioned to sort of script doctor the script. So he gets a copy of his script uh, as a revised copy and Yost flips out. Uh, he called the script uh, the most terrible thing he'd ever written, and he spent the better part of two weeks trying to like reconfigure the draft because Fox has all this new stuff in the draft that they're like, this has to stay, this has to be in it, this has to be in it, and he's like losing his mind, mm-hmm. right? So uh, Jan DeBont goes to Fox and gets them to allow Joss Whedon to come in and help with the rewrite. And Yost and Joss Whedon are like totally on the same page. And that's Joss a great call is, for this. Yeah. 
It's a great yeah. call. And he's able to redo it. And according to Yost, Joss Whedon wrote 98.9% of the dialogue in the script. He, he said, we're nothing. very much in sync. And it's just that I didn't write dialogue as nearly as well as he did. Um, Yost is on this big picture, guys. Yeah, one of one of Whedon's contributions was reworking Travern's uh, character once Keanu Reeves was cast. Uh, Reeves didn't like how Jack was written and how he came across in Yost's original screenplay. He felt like he was set up for situations for one-liners, uh, and it felt forced, like Die Hard, but like a screwball comedy. That's what that's what Keanu said. He's like, it feels like Die Hard, but like a screwball comedy. But this, <laughs> oh, and I, and I guess this is where we should stop to talk about Keanu Reeves because you need to rewrite a script for him. And I think that every time he's bad, it's because the script wasn't rewritten for him. Yes. And, and he sort of rewrites it with Reeves input uh, because he and and to his credit, Keanu Reeves went to John DeBont and Joss Whedon was like, Hey, I'm not great at one liners. Like I, they sound weird for me. Can I only do nineteen in this? (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, he, but but for the time, this was pretty subtle with the one line. Oh yeah, oh no, this is high art. For 1994. This is high art for for ninety four. Um, um, so he 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 goes and uh, we Whedon sort of changes Traverns from a quote hot shot maverick to quote the police guy trying to not get anybody killed, uh, and right. removed a lot of the characters' glib dialogue and made it more earnest. Well, and I said on the Bill and Ted episode that that Keanu works when he doesn't have to project awareness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it either works if he's a guy who like doesn't understand what's going on, like The Matrix or Bill and Ted, or a guy who is so omnipotent that he doesn't need to explain his himself, like the later Matrixes or John Wick. And this is one where. He's playing both sides of that so that he's 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 racing to the to the bus and you're like, yes, get on that fucking bus. And the second he's on it, you look at his eyes and his face and you're like, I don't think he knows what he's doing. Well, that's because, exactly uh, what this movie needs. And it's something Bruce Willis can do. And that's why Die Hard works. But it's something that Keanu can't avoid. Keanu is good. Keanu at doesn't make an effort to give that sense of. Um, you know, uh, intelligent helplessness. Well, because Keanu isn't good at action as he is just like reaction. Like he has to, like somebody else is smarter in the room and he bounces yeah. off of what to do at that point. Like John like, Wick, yeah. uh, all three John Wicks work because it's like that's you're watching seven hours of a man just practice self defense. Right. It's like it's, similar, <laughs> like, it's, it's personified exactly like in I, th- I think it's the first Matrix at the end when he's like dodging all the blows, like looking away, kind of bored. It's, it's That's just, his entire career. Like I will effortlessly do something. It doesn't even look like I understand. And he doesn't have to understand <laughs> it. He just needs to react to it. And that's all. Yeah, and knows. this is a movie that like every time it pauses, Keanu's flaws come in. Yeah, every time the baton gets passed to him, you're like, oh, oh, no, 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 throw it to someone else. So he even can, uh, to the point it. of him, like when he hops off the bus and he's like on the side of the car, just having a chat with his fellow officers. You're like, get back on the bus and stop talking because I'm not, I'm already not buying it again. Well, it, it, he's not a quarterback; he's a wide receiver. You know, I was about to say that. <laughs> 
Uh, Yost also gave Whedon credit for the pop quiz hotshot line. Um, another of Whedon's contributions was changing the character of uh, Alan, like Alan Ruck's character, Doug Stevens, from a lawyer bad guy who died, and you were kind of happy he died, to just a tourist nice guy totally out of his depth. Wow. That is a good call. I, I think Alan Ruck's like my favorite non- three leads character. I mean, he's obviously the most maybe developed, but I think he, outside of Jeff Daniels, but it's like Alan Ruck shows up and you're like, whatever happens to this guy's probably gonna be pretty fun. Well, and it's like, he just leans in and goes, Hey, I'm a tourist and I don't know what oh, I'm doing. A magical entrance. <laughs> so, uh, Whedon, I got Whedon predominantly worked on dialogue, but he also created a few significant plot points like killing Harry Temple. Uh, Yost had originally planned for Temple to be the villain of the story uh, and felt like having an off-screen antagonist would not be as interesting. However, Yost recognized that there was a lot of work in the script to establish Temple as the villain. And when Dennis Hopper was cast as Howard Payne, Yost uh, recognized that Howard Payne's uh, or that Hopper's pain worked readily as a villain and allowed him to rewrite Temple as non-complicit in the bomb situation. So it's supposed to be that that the Dennis Hopper character was like a fall guy, and the real guy behind it was What's Jeff Daniels. Was Jeff Daniels? Yeah, that doesn't work. But that sucks. This and then when they when they see Dennis so Hopper, the they're middle. like, "Oh no, that fucking rips." It should just be him, you know. Right. <laughs> Um, and so, so we also added a, a subplot where he cheats on his wife for 15 years. <laughs> it's interesting, like how many iconic parts of this movie are shifting right up into the week of production. Like, so it seems like the only thing that's staying is like this core of like, oh yeah, it's a, you know, the bus can't slow down, you know, but that's so the many thing things. Is it's like, it, everyone seems to agree on what's interesting about this. I don't know why they're trying to decorate it. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, we talk about casting. Stephen Baldwin was the first choice for the role of Jack Tavern. (laughs) (laughs) What happened in 1993 to make that right? Well, I mean, if you're thinking, if you're trying to do like more of a of a diehardy, like he's going to deliver the glove action lines. Yeah, you know, like when you go for. I guess that's a bald one you go for, but he declined the offer because he felt the character as it was written in this early version was too much like John McClane from Die Hard. And that's not a, you know, a persona you want to have as a Hollywood sure, actor. Sure. Um, according to Yost, they had also considered and were in talks with Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Wesley Snipes, you know, and Woody Harrelson. Like a bus full of bombs. You never know how slow you're going to have to go. Pop quiz, hot shot. He's going to play everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that those are all great movies with like, as long as you bring in a Whedon to write for those four actors. I think there's a version to be made kind of with everyone, maybe even Hank's. But like a Wesley Snipes version of this would be kind of incredible. Yeah, it, it, I, I wouldn't be against that. a Wesley Snipes version of this. Um, now, uh, John DeBont ultimately cast Keanu Reeves after seeing him in Point Break. He felt that the actor was vulnerable on screen and not threatening to men because he's not that bulky and he looks great to women. That's a direct quote. 
Um, that's Fantastic. not my conjecture of why he cast him. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't threaten you, Kyle, and you're he's he handsome. <laughs> and I'm not threatened by that. Um, <laughs> you're okay. He's vulnerable enough. Now, Reeves had apparently worked really closely with the LAPD SWAT and like the bomb and like like special unit forces uh, before making Point Break as like research and quote learned about their concern for human life, uh, which he tried to incorporate into Travern. Yeah, because uh, Keanu Reeves is the only person I know that can see the true good in a cop. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, the director didn't want Travern to have long hair, um, and he wanted the character to look strong and in control of himself. So to that end, Reeves uh, like was told that, and he immediately oh. shaved his head. I never considered that this might have been, and I, I guess I just don't know, like a sudden change, like that he was, he had long hair up until here. Yeah. So he shaves his head and the whole studio is like, what? He shaved his fuck. We wanted it shorter. He shaved his fucking head wow. and then he shows up on set and everyone's like, oh no, he looks hot. Yeah, but he's not, he's not too looking like a little so boy, I, you know, because like before it'd be a, cause like Keanu with the long hair sort of looks still like a child, you know, at least this looks like, at least a 33 year old dude get a woman in here does he look great to you <laughs> <laughs> great it's still working hold on no you're at peacotness we were wrong they, they bring joss whedon back in for a week like he's got short hair we need another rewrite so uh for the character of annie yost said they had initially written the character as an african-american and also as a paramedic to justify how she'd be able to like drive the speeding bus through the traffic um the role was offered to Halle berry but she declined the part and later the character had then been changed to a driving instructor that was on the bus uh and that was going to be played by ellen degeneres and be like a comic relief sidekick so you're saying this could have been an ellen degeneres stephen baldwin picture what a calamity Honestly, though, a Keanu Reeves, Halle Berry speed. I'm all Wesley on board. Snipes, Ellen DeGeneres. Oh no, yeah, you can play shuffle with these. I'm just saying, first try casting. Stephen it's Baldwin and a Baldwin DeGeneres thing, which means DeGeneres is then leading the boat one. <laughs> I'm on vacation. Uh, no, no, that'd be her getting a cruise gig, wouldn't it? Instead, Annie became uh, both a teacher and then made the character more of uh, a a love interest, um, leading to the casting of Sandra Bullock. Uh, She came in to read uh, for speed with Keanu Reeves to make sure that there was the right chemistry between the two actors. And she recalls having to do all this really weird physical stuff together, rolling around the floor and stuff, which like, I feel like you hear these old casting stories like that. (laughs) And I get that it's important, like at the end of the movie, when they roll out on the thing like there you need to feel electricity between the two of them but like also <laughs> i need to God. know that you fuck good <laughs> fuck now <laughs> okay that's good you uh, can come back next week 
so the this movie was being filmed uh, while I was born. Uh, principal photography began September seventh, man, nineteen ninety three. Completed no December twenty third. Yeah, I was. Uh, I'm a. I'm a speed sign. That's. I was, <laughs> I was six days old when they started. I was. Uh, I had just moved to Las Vegas. I was two years old. Oh, nice! I didn't um, know we had a fucking ancient. Yeah, DeBont used an 80-foot model of a 50-story elevator shaft for the opening sequence, uh, which oh, I just that think That first credits thing is exhausting. It's insane. Yeah. Um, while Speed was in production... Uh, getting multiple chances to wonder if I had started the right movie. <laughs> yeah. So uh, while Speed was in production, actor and Keanu Reeves' close uh, friend River Phoenix died. Um, oh. Immediately after Phoenix died, DeBont... <laughs> after Phoenix died, DeBont <laughs> changed the shooting schedule to work around Reeves Did and Johnny decided Depp to give him uh, scenes. Any fault in that? <laughs> you know? They weren't like his uh, drugs or anything, were they? So he decided to give him scenes that were easier. Uh, he said, quote, it got to him emotionally. He became very quiet. It took him a while uh, to calm down. I think it scared the hell out of him. So, I mean, imagine Keanu Reeves being more quiet, like, more <laughs> reserved. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It, it's just interesting to me that that also happened during this movie. I know it's it's I mean, there's there's like a story like this every once in a while, right? Like an actor who faces this in the middle of a shoot. Yeah. Well, we uh, we like weren't like, well, I was alive live, but like you guys were babies and stuff. We just weren't like aware enough to understand the impact of River Phoenix at the time because he was a big deal. You know, and it was like it wasn't like he was about to stop. It was like it's like Chadwick Boseman kind of dying. Just he's in in one of my top five favorite movies. Stand by me. <laughs> I was like, what was he say? You needed us to ask. <laughs> Stand by me. And it was I just love. The, that's another Stand one. Never seen it. I fucking love Stand by Me, bro. It's a good movie. Is it, um, Ad Astra. I don't think so. <laughs> it's bad. Um. So initially Reeves uh, was nervous about the film's many action sequences uh, not looking good. Um, But as (laughs) shooting progressed, he decided to become more involved and decided he wanted to do every stunt himself, uh, including Travern jumping from the Jaguar onto the bus. Not even that. It's when he gets on the thing that's going to go under the bus that is really stressful. Yeah. So he... Uh, John DeBont was apparently super terrified of him doing all these things, <laughs> was yeah. super against it. But Keanu Reeves was like, Nope, if I'm doing this action movie, I want to like earn my stripes, I want to be that guy, I want to do the stunts. No, there's a lot of work here being done that today, if this were like a Tom Cruise, like a Mission Impossible, they would market very specifically <laughs> that these stunts were real. And all yeah. of the sort of talk show talking points would be about, so you really jumped onto the bus. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, Conan's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what I, that impression was. I think it's fun Brandon to just Norton. know that they, they had planned to use two uh, GM new look buses and they ended up uh, using 11. <laughs> 
they burned through seven more buses than they had anticipated uh, while filming the movie. <laughs> I do. I want to say, I know, Kyle, you have two whole movies productions to get through, and that's why we got to truck through. But the the first bus that explodes... I couldn't help but laugh at Keanu con- consistently running up to it to double check that it's really on fire. <laughs> His friend was in there. He was checking to see if Sam was dead. But when he gets to like the driver's seat, he's basically like he plays it like a fucking Looney Tune. Like he's like, oh man, god damn it, it's on fire. <laughs> How many takes could they possibly have of that? They literally blew up the bus twice, and he's like checking on people. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, two of the buses were blown up. Uh, one was used for high speed film chase. Other ones were cut up to uh, achieve different interior shots. Um, and then one was used solely for the under the bus shots. Um, so many of the film's freeway scenes were filmed in California's Interstate 105, which was not officially open at the time of filming. And while scouting the location, DeBont noticed it wasn't finished. Yep, DeBont noticed from the from the helicopter that big sections of the road were missing and told Graham Yost that they have to add an unfinished freeway to the script. This is another moment that almost hurts this movie for me. Well, the thing is, someone has to sell it, and it has to be Joe Morton. Joe Morton tells me <laughs> on the fact that the Joe Morton rules. Yes, he just, you just want to discuss Joe Morton. Joe God. Morton could. I want if anyone ever has to tell me I have cancer, I want it to be Joe Morton because he will handle it with so much tact. That should be his full time job. We we pull him out to do movies, but the rest of the time he gives people diagnoses with the most steady hand. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, aren't you the guy who made Skynet? He's like, shh, shh, shh. it's okay. I'm here for you. You're gonna get through this. You're gonna be strong. Your family's strong. Even in like, you're gonna get through this with them. He's the best two minutes of speed too. Yeah, he has a very small part uh, in speed. So too. in the in the jump scenes. Uh, in the scene in which the bus must jump across the gap in the unfinished freeway ramp uh, that was under construction, a ramp was used to give the necessary lift off so that it could jump the full 50 feet. Uh, the bus used in the jump was empty except for the driver who wore a shock absorbing harness that suspended him in the air above the seat so that he could handle the impact of landing and avoid spinal injury, um, which actually happened to a lot of stuntmen at this time that were doing this kind of like car jump stunt. Um, On a commentary track, uh, DeBont reports that the bus stunt did not go as planned. And to do the jump, uh, the bus had everything stripped out. And on the first try, the stunt driver missed the ramp completely and crashed and totaled the first bus, um, making it totally unusable. And they decided to not they decided not to report it to the studio (laughs) and just get another bus. But they just put newspaper over and act like it didn't happen. Yeah, pretty much. I feel like if you missed the ramp completely, (laughs) you're you're fucking done. It looked like from the pictures, a wheel came off the ramp and then the whole bus like flipped and like fucking totaled. You're supposed to do all four wheels. (laughs) We pay you for all four wheels, Ricky. You have to have (laughs) 
in I'm only paying for three wheels. <laughs> we're going to have a ramp, and you're needed. going to make all four wheels happen on that ramp. You know, it's, the first wheel's free. Well, and, that, and he so, said, if, um, if, if nothing happens, if something happens, we won't tell the studio. So, uh, again, we're making um, speed, baby. So they try it again. And he has all these he has all these cameras set up, right? And they had supposedly done all these calculations on where the bus was gonna land. And uh they were totally wrong, and the bus takes out like all of this production equipment. <laughs> and they got lucky that they had planted one one camera super far away for like a very, very wide shot, and that one happened to capture it. But the other like four cameras they had set up all got like not only didn't capture, got destroyed completely. It also um, I was so upset one day when I uh, like grabbed a cone uh, and there was no water inside of it. (laughs) (laughs) I I spent my whole life thinking there was always water inside those uh, those barrels on the side of the freeway. But there is never water. There is in L.A. I think I know what you're talking about. The and that I saw that first in like uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. Yeah, and I, I was always thing. like the water barrels, but the, those don't happen. But like that is one of the most visibly deadly car crashes I've ever seen, where the guy just like immediately is standing and being like, "Man, this is crazy." This whole car's <laughs> <Yeah>. waterlogged. <laughs> like that's a real like reshoot shot where they're like, "We showed this to test audiences, and they were horrified that we killed him." Hey, could you imagine though a whole bus power sliding into all of the production equipment though? God. No, this is a, this is a case of like <laughs> I understand now from hearing what uh, Kyle saying is like it's the kind of it's a kind of movie that you, you understand why green screen had to become more of common practice because this movie just seems so difficult to make, um, and it's so commendable to watch and understand that everything really was shot on roads and in a, and like things are 80 yard instead of green screen. It's like, no, let's shoot in a speeding bus instead of shoot on a soundstage and, and make everything a little cleaner. All right. So needless to say, uh, speed was a huge hit. Uh, it got a worldwide gross of 350 million on a production budget of 30. Um, so it did fantastic. It has a 94%. And it made my grandmother's fucking panties wet. You know what yeah. I mean? His uh, gra- yeah. My uh, grandma was wet as fuck. Is his grandma's is Damp Gramps. Damp Gramps for Alan Ruck. Um, <laughs> that's my t-shirt. My name's Ruck and I like to fuck. <laughs> my name's Ruck. <laughs> I'm a tourist. Can you believe it? <laughs> I want some gum. Yeah, why does Alan Ruck play that character like a dude that's doing role play with his wife? <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Uh Roger Ebert gave the gave the movie four out of four stars. Uh Quentin Tarantino. That's one of the best you can get. He named the film uh, as one of the twenty best films he'd ever seen, uh saying that it's only seen of fifteen time movies at the time. And is a masterpiece. Uh, that's that's what he said uh that's a cool thing that quentin tarantino <laughs> said so speed was a massive hit uh Wait, at cast, what time the cast when, was oh, becoming hot uh this was 94, in 94 so he had made two big fat movies so he had been reading the script to dungeons and dragons and been like speed is the best movie <laughs> <laughs> and uh uh 
uh, Battlefield Earth. Yeah. Just, I blocked it from my memory. It took a sec to, to go find it in the hard drive. So the cast was super hot from this movie. Uh, audiences and critics both loved it, and it made a ton of money. So naturally, a sequel was on the way. Uh, director John DeBont uh, initially felt that the film was a one-time story with no sequel potential, which is crazy that he wanted this like diehard thing and then didn't want to do more yeah. of it <laughs> but that's such a like sexy sentiment right right of like a filmmaker wanting it to be done sure that never happens sure sure you always sort of have like the deadpool guys being like hey we'd love to make fun. we have we have eight more deadpools ready you know like <laughs> which is just people saying who brought you deadpool <laughs> from the fucking, oh my god from the fucking demented war criminals that brought you deadpool <laughs> from the domestic terrorists that brought you deadpool we need to stop describing our creators in trailers <laughs> From the visionary director of Ted. <laughs> A million ways to die in the way. So uh, the, the, the initial movie, um, you know, with 20th Century Fox, they, they didn't have any obligation with the actors uh, in their contracts to appear in a follow up. Um. But due to positive word of mouth and the initial box office, they greenlit a speed sequel right away. Um, and in which John cool. John DeBont, yeah, the speed call, uh, John DeBont was contractually obligated to direct it uh, or at least be like paid to direct it. So he was like, all right, well, I guess if they're it's a, it's a pay or play situation, it, we kind of I'm, I'm going to do it. Um. He was paid $6 million to direct the sequel. Uh, and even though their contracts uh, did not obligate them to, Fox fully expected Reeves and Bullock to reprise their roles. And they envisioned the follow-up films with Reeves and Bullock's characters getting married in the opening. Was this decision made in 94? Like it was made right? Pretty much. Well, yeah, pretty no, quick it was, it was, it was air dinner. It was greenlit the opening weekend. The the sequel was yeah. greenlit by Fox the opening weekend. Right. Which at and the time like, was, I'm sure, seen as something very um, presumptuous. Whereas now movies are, sequels are greenlit during pre-production on the first one. Yeah. They signed for five movies. Or we're like, this concept art is too good. We got to make another one. Well, yeah, people signed for multiple movies, too. And, and at that time, that wasn't really, I guess, as big of a thing. But I mean, maybe because of cases like this. And also Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock weren't huge at that time. Uh, right. This so, is another lull period for Keanu, like that we've established. Right. And so, so this was his 90s movie or early 90s movie that reminded everyone. Yeah, of this him. is when he changes action again. But but they, they really Fox really wanted them to be this married couple in the sequel because they're. Uh, chemistry was like testing really high with like the initial audiences. Um, and you got to follow through on the idea that they have a lot of sex. Right. You got to. They roll around. But what if the That's sequel the promise was of the first one? What if like the second one was just like Keanu Reeves coming fast was the whole movie? 
That is kind of the conceit yeah. that, that Annie does give him at the end of like, after everything we've done today, you are going to get to hit this. <laughs> like, let me yeah. be very clear. It's <laughs> a relationship on this being hit. The way they zoom out and the way everyone's looking into the train, they could be yeah. fucking in that train. They're going to fuck in that train, dude. Yeah, I didn't clock it. But I'm pretty sure they, they the movie devotes like 19 minutes to people taking photos of them making out. <laughs> I, did, I, I did have a note that said, why are so many people watching a midday showing of 2001 A Space Odyssey during like a domestic terrorist yes. incident? <laughs> That's such a, when that happens in any movie where clearly a director is asked, what do you want to be on the marquee? And they go, oh, some some movie I think is fantastic. Like, <laughs> yeah. so there's a lot of background marquees in Spielberg movies. When Spike gets to direct something or big, it's, just- it's going to be amazing Spider-Man 2 up there in Sylvan Lettuce. Hey, 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 the amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> Mark Webb's The Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> From the twist, I know Mark Webb. It would have been like me from the director of Gifted. So basically, DeBont was placed solely in charge of this sequel, right? It was sort of taken from Grant Yost and sort of given to John DeBont or Jan DeBont as Fox sort of saw him as the dude that really made it like pop and made it work and they sort of ignored everything that honestly i think uh joss whedon brought to the project which i really think he was the key of making this like Hmm. fucking really fun and have like an energy and a vibe and a and not feel old not feel like an older classic like die hardy like super die hardy 80s or action movie it kind of had this more 90s kick I think Joss Whedon is so good at diagnosing what could go wrong, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, of like instead not. And, and that's why what he does right is not necessarily fantastic. It's what he sort of avoids where it's like, how do you make an Avengers sequel? And he's like, well, I'm going to probably drop. He, he drops the ball basically everywhere except you know, the interpersonal stuff, which is the thing he lost out on in the first one. So like, he's such a reactionary writer. And I think of him as, I don't really even remember. I don't think anyone thinks of him as a director, but as a writer, he's such a smart, like technician of what needs to be avoided and what needs to be emphasized. I think he's a really brilliant script doctor. You know what I mean? From the kind of person you can you can bring in on a project, and nine times out of ten, he'll improve it. You know what I mean? Like you, you have your solos and stuff to direct Avengers. Yes, and and I think he's really proven his hand there too, of like directing, of just like being a steady hand that can direct and like nail these other script elements. So you kind of get two for one with him. Um, The problem became that he he directed like a writer, where mm -hmm. he. He there was no vision once he was on set. Do you think he's ever going to get to direct another movie? Yeah, but it'll probably he'll probably he'll, he'll he will probably have a career of Cabin in the Woods is and even though he didn't direct that, but like I don't think he'll ever make. I don't know if he will ever be involved in a movie that costs more than because like you know fifty million dollars to make ever again. Because he was signed on to do Batgirl was like the whole reason he did Justice League. So it's like, and that was never going to happen, you know? Yeah, it was announced 
like they actually they forgot to in the press release say just kidding <laughs> you know but and then there's all this weird talk with like if Zack Snyder's like Justice League does well on HBO Max they're going to just reboot all of that shit too well and they just recently announced that Zack Snyder's Justice League will feature four new minutes of footage well I thought no it's <laughs> they filmed four brand new minutes but they still had an extra six hours of footage they'd never used but they are reporting that basically every living actor has, is going to be part of these reshoots apparently for four, four minutes, minutes. Yeah. like a like everyone's gonna have lunch in the middle of this thing wild <laughs> Uh, Spike, you might want to turn. I think you're just you're you're a touch hot. You're touch hot. I am hyped for our. Is that better? Yeah, that's 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 great. I am hyped for our Zack Snyder's Justice League episode. We have to, yeah, we have to talk about how that eventually. Yeah, the the first time because there's still right now there's an episode to be made about Justice League. Right now, there's a movie to be made. There's an episode to be made about Justice League, but the true development hell is the fact that what is happening is actually happening right now. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's like if we all got together to try to demand a speed three with Keanu. (laughs) Man of tight. I mean, man of tight speed. Man of high speed. Man of high speed. Man of, the man of Tai Chi I did recently read um, in a text from Richard that it changed the game. <laughs> it did. That it, that it, it did. changed action forever because of what it could have been. Quoting yes. something on a poster as a text from Richard, like, changed the game. A text from Richard. <laughs> changed the game. It had worked. A text from Richard. So... Everything could have changed the game if it had worked. I never so, said the if it had worked part, but okay. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so, DeBont... Uh, no, I want to fight <laughs> Richard again. It's not a video game. <laughs> so, uh, DeBont was pretty much solely um, in the in the driver's seat here, and hundreds of ideas for sequels were submitted to DeBont. He said, literally hundreds of pitches for the speed was it a sequel contest. I don't know. Like they did a screen grab <laughs> submissions. Was it about, like a live story? Like, what do you think Speed Two should be about? Well, because it, it sounds like they were taking pitches pretty quick. Like Speed One is kind of still in theaters, and they're like taking pitches on Speed Two, and it's like making all this money. It's a huge movie, so they're so like it sounds like every screenwriter in town was brought in to be like, all right, go watch Speed, and then go tell them what you would do in Speed Two. Right. So isn't any pitch for a speed sequel (laughs) just pitching a vehicle? Kind of. And it it sounds like uh, the speeds, the original speed screenwriter, Graham Yost, had an idea for the film involving uh, a boat at first, but he didn't like that. Uh, He wanted to do like a Vietnam era war vessel that had been taken over and its ammunition would explode if it came in contact with water. So it couldn't crash into anything. Um, but everybody just felt like that was kind of too sweaty to understand. And then he had another idea that he pitched to them about a plane that had to fly through the Andes mountains, but couldn't, uh, ascend above 10,000 feet. 
or it would explode. That I thought. Like a I feel like that's plane. the sequel to make. Yeah. Call it altitude. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, but that's a sick. You know, movie. you know they call it. Sorry, call it minimum altitude. They call it height. <laughs> Speed two, minimum yeah. altitude. Speed, height. Uh, and then height. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh neither Yost nor uh speed producer really the PMI trilogy. <laughs> now neither Yost nor speed producer Mike Gordon were asked to participate in the sequel. Uh although Yost received a character's created tell. by credit uh, and Gordon was credited as an EP for Speed Two. Uh Randall McCormick you never involved the same creative people randall mccormick was hired to write the sequel uh in 1994 and he is the dude who did titan randall scorpion king 2 blue crush 2 he's like a cancer for bad sequels so it's like if you look at who they brought in wait this guy wrote titan ae you say titan ae yeah Uh, joss whedon wrote titan ae well, this dude or co-wrote. This John dude is co-written. I guess. I guess he fixed it from this oh, guy. Shit. So this guy is who. What you, if it was animated? This guy is who you brought in on some of these weird sequel movies. But it's like, why are you bringing him in when on the last movie you brought in somebody who could actually make it better? This guy is fucking the opposite. You know what I mean? And who knows what this guy isn't credited on? But just his IMDb is like it's all five dollar dumpster bin movies. Um, Richard's picks, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So he Our was next week's episode. I'm sure. So he was hired to write the sequel in '94, and he received a story by credit with Debont um, and McCormick and Jeff Nathanson uh, collectively wrote um, the screenplay, working backwards based on an idea from from a nightmare that Debont had. So Debont, so Jeff gets, Nathanson, and actually like he's okay good. screenwriter. He's good. Yeah, I like Jeff Nathanson's work. Um, no, uh, basically Debont had this idea. He uh, DeBont had this idea in a dream. He had a nightmare about a cruise ship crashing into an island. And after hearing hundreds of pitches and all this stuff, he still was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go with that nightmare I had about the cruise ship. <laughs> <laughs> so now here's, here's what I was talking about earlier. And here is like the me switching between different tabs on my computer trying to piece this all together at like one 30 in the morning with like red tape. This is like my red string Charlie moment of like, what's uh-huh. with Pepe Sylvia? So <laughs> yeah. So fortunately for DuPont, um, you know, nothing like, unfortunately for DuPont, nothing that Jeff Nathanson and McCormick had written was clicking for him. However, Fox had bought a script called Troubleshoot, which they had turned in to Die Hard with a Vengeance, which saw John McClane fighting terrorists on a Caribbean cruise liner. However, However, Under Siege comes out. But Under Siege is literally just a knockoff of Die Hard, but that meant that Die Hard 2 couldn't be made how they wanted to make Die Hard 2. So they scrapped Die Hard 2, and then they give Die Hard 2 to this script, which was originally supposed to be directed by the guy who directed Die Hard, but didn't want to do it because it was too much like Die Hard. And now it's too much like Die Hard, and it actually is Die Hard 2. But Under Siege should have been 
but was Die Hard, and I'm losing my mind. <laughs> so this is what would happen. If you've ever wondered how big of a fucking footprint Die Hard had on action movies of this fucking time, look at this mess. <laughs> look at how well, and I think look, look at how if Die Hard Two had been able to be that cruise ship movie. We would have had like speed to another day. You know, we would have had like all these other That's speed. The yeah, it would have been like that was the, the yeah. there's two timelines and there's one where speed is this franchise. Yep. And there's one where Die <laughs> yeah. Hard is and this franchise. That's the thing is that the, the I think the, the big influencer is not so much Die Hard, but Die Hard 2, because what that then starts is you even hear stories about Under Siege 2 which was written by Matt Reeves, who's gone on to be, he's like making the Batman right now. Mm -hmm. And like it, there was this period of the nineties, late eighties and nineties where an action script would be awesome, but they're like, this is great. We're going to turn it into die hard three, or we're going to turn it into under siege two where action scripts were be, and you can't do that now because it's not like you buy us. Oh, this is a great cop drama. We're going to turn this into captain America four, but it's like, there was this period of the nineties where if you made a movie with guns or you wrote a movie with guns um, and cops, it might get funneled into one of these three or four star vehicles. Absolutely. And that's sort of like, you know, it's just interesting character. It's just interesting to me, all this die hard gobbledygook. And the fact that this literally is one of the most forgettable sequels of all time. And it should have been, the sequel to Die Hard. Yeah, Richard watched half of half of it, and I watched none of it. I um, we were texting about when to start this podcast, and um, I said I'm watching Speed Two, so I can start at any time. I'm not committed well, to this. And and, I'll, and, I'll, and, and I was I'll, just finishing Speed One for the first time. And I'll and I'll mention that you know Air Force One is sort of this other like you know classic. What if oh. like, what if it but an airplane? <laughs> an Air Force what One. What if Die Hard but an Air Force One? And Gary Oldman was supposed to play the Willem Dafoe villain in the sequel, but turned it down to play the villain in air force one. So that's just more of that. <laughs> Willem Dafoe is in, is in speed two, right? He's the, the villain, villain speed two. So yeah. back to we'll, back we'll, Willem Dafoe. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. How many boy toys does he wake up in bed with in this? Zero. Unfortunately, <laughs> fucking lame. Should have got zero. Just, just have no, he has a do not disturb Duffy. sign on his door. Should have gotten Duffy. <laughs> Uh, Imagine Troy Duffy directing Speed 3. They're all like a fucking stripper pole party bus. And if anyone stops fucking stripping or does any gay shit, it blows up. You know, if Keanu Reeves stops doing speed, he will die. Um... Let's see. If you stop listening to the brood's new song, you die. <laughs> so uh, prior to production, details about the film were kept secret, but the idea that it was taking place on a ship started leaking in rumors and it sort of became a joke. Tough to hide. It sort of became a joke before because you sort of tell anybody like, oh, they're doing another speed. It's going to be on a boat. Everybody's like, oh, that's lame. <laughs> like That sucks. <laughs> Well, I saw I saw uh, Keanu was promoting some John Wick movie or something, and said he turned this down because he just, as he says, is a joke. In that he's like, "Yeah, buses can go 
already not that fast <laughs> boat cruise ships seem even slower yeah and i and i mentioned it later but they basically like they had to get really creative with how they were going to shoot the boat from wide shots because they sort of realized that you put a like a, a you know even one going full speed but a cruise ship in a sh- in a wide shot and it doesn't look very fast so they had to be in like speeding boats going the opposite way of the cruise ship and like shooting it in these whipping shots to make it seem like it has any kind of speed to it instead of just reversing the footage did you get that literally any kind of speed to it uh well no that's the thing they couldn't they couldn't couldn't manipulate or speed up footage because they would have to like digitally replace all the water because if you speed it up at all the water looks insane and so they didn't have any budget yeah instead their movie looks crazy (laughs) imagine if it was about like a boat that was going 700 miles an hour (laughs) so so people were there were all these rumors about whether or not it was going to be on a boat and he kept uh refusing to confirm any of the rumors but he did keep stating that he believed this sequel would be quote funnier uh, while Speed 2 star Jason Patrick finally a funny speed yeah and Speed 2 star Jason Patrick said that the sequel is a quote very complex movie that will have bigger sequences bigger than anything in Speed 1 you know um, let me tell you I drew a fucking circle outside in my driveway <laughs> and at any time Jason Patrick can come to my house and fucking fight me for making Speed 2 okay <laughs> Uh, so so speed two was produced by debont's production company blue tulip uh and while speed was produced for 30 million the sequel was greenlit at about 100 million uh due to a larger production and higher cast salaries uh the director began working uh on pre-production prior to the release of his previous film Twister in 1996. Uh, he started what happens in Twister. What a picture. I think, uh, I think there's a bus that will explode. There's a tornado that explodes. If it doesn't if it get twisted. Lower than, um, it's from the that's another one of those. mind of Twisters. Director. <laughs> mind. That's, that's like also one of those movies my grandma really fucked with. Oh, she was a, it took us like seconds to do that, but it's embarrassing how long it took us to get there. Uh, so from the twisted mind he started location scouting in the caribbean in 96 uh which honestly just sounds like how can i get fox yeah. to pay for me to go on vacation after i shoot twister that's, that's some real rich guy work <laughs> right uh so he eventually chose saint martin as the primary filming location because he felt like it was the least likely to be subject to a hurricane uh for the cruise ship um on the film God set, DeBont uh, spent several weeks uh, visiting cruise ships from various cruise liners and eventually chose the Seaborn Legend for its luxury amenities and sleek design. So he just got to have maybe the nicest two months of like, I'll try out every cruise ship. Yeah. I have to try the ball. This is, where it starts. this is where it becomes like a Sandler movie where yeah. he's like, I think my next movie will be in Africa. Like, yeah. So as I what said, if my uh, was upset about being in Hawaii. <laughs> so as I said, in the sequel, in Hawaii. 
uh, Gary Oldman turned down the role of the villain Geiger uh, to star uh, as the villain in Air Force One. And Willem Dafoe was cast as Geiger because he wanted to star in, quote, a big movie again and play a big villain. And he was also under the assumption that Reeves and Bullock would be in the film. And Dafoe was actually excited to specifically work with Keanu. (laughs) Wow. So upon reading the script, uh, Bullock initially declined to star in the sequel. Um, She just did not like the script at all. She didn't think her character was the same at all. And she later agreed. She got that money. Only on the condition that they financially back her passion project, the drama film Hope Floats. So she basically does this movie. She basically does this movie for film in exchange for them making Hope Floats. Uh, she has since called uh, Speed 2 Cruise Control unwatchable, incoherent, and embarrassing. But she said it was a solid business move that she doesn't regret. <laughs> and I think Hope Floats is one of the best movies made by Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> and I really mean that. I, I I know I don't know how Richard feels about it, but I you think can that, definitely call it a movie with Sandra Bullock. I think it's one of the best Sandra Bullock movies directed by Forrest Whitaker. I just so, don't know any other movie Forrest Whitaker directed to ever give a hot take on this, but I'll agree. So uh, that's great. Reeves was offered twelve million to reprise his role as Jack Tavern, uh, which is actually the same that they gave. Uh, Sandra Bullock for Hope Float. So that's actually hey, cool. They, they, got, they got the same amount of money. Wow. Um, but uh, he turned it down because he didn't like the script. Uh, he said that he was, quote, financially secure from the success of Speed and felt that he was not ready mentally or physically to star in another big action movie, having just completed Chain Reaction. Uh, he passed on Speed 2 in order to star in the horror film The Devil's Advocate because he said, quote, horror sounds fun. <laughs> which was filmed uh, at the same time, then subsequently t- uh, toured with his band Dogstar. Reeves said that Fox was furious with his decision and released propaganda against him in trade magazines, falsely claiming that he turned down the role unprofessionally after signing on to it to tour with his band. I mean, I, I, I feel like it's hard to project unkindness onto Keanu. Like, I, I feel like he's lately and, and for maybe for just decades now, this seems weird because I feel like he's so untouchable by this like slanderous stuff. Like you can't really imagine him going like, fuck that. I'm doing my shit. Yeah. I know I signed like, go oh, my band. Screw your well, contract. That's the thing, it's like, like it's not chain terrible. reaction. One of the most famous like, professional and kind people in <laughs> yeah. the, the industry. Well, like a, Chain reaction sucks donkey dick. And I think that was just his nice way of saying, I really don't think I can do another bad movie, you know? And it's him just like trying to let them down easy on the fact that he doesn't think this is going to work. He's like, he's Mm. like, dude, I just did a shitty movie. I don't want to do another shitty movie. I got this other movie, the devil's advocate. Maybe I could be a horror guy. I don't know. Let's try that. Yeah. I'm going to try that. Advocate fucks. No, look, (laughs) you do like some horror movie with Al Pacino or you do a boat movie with Sandra, but like you 
you know, but I feel like it's like, it's, it's this kind of thing where Fox at that time was like, fuck this kid. We made him. So then they launched this weird smear campaign to make him look unprofessional and like hard to work with. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's very, it'll make me want to watch the boat movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, well, it was, it was seemingly just done like in the trade, like in the industry, but like he talked about it. So it's, it, I'm glad he talked about it though. That's good. Um, so after Reeves declined to star in the sequel, uh, the screenplay was rewritten to remove his character from the story, which DeBont wanted to deal with as early in the film as possible. So his absence is explained in the first scene where Annie talks about how her relationship with Jack didn't work during her driving test. Not enough sex. She's like having a driving test. They didn't do sex enough. <laughs> they didn't do sex enough. Uh, that was the whole agreement. That was the plan. I just love that she talks about the reason they broke up being that he was like a cop and he was in danger all the time. But uh, her new boyfriend has the exact same job on the exact same force and the exact same team. Yeah. And they don't that she he was like lying to her about being like a bike cop or something in Venice Beach. It's like when an actor leaves a show during the off season and they have to like really quickly explain why that character is dead. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like, like it's like, Hey, we're doing paintball. Pierce is dead. Anyway, paintball, like or some <laughs> shit like that. Or, yeah. Like we just need to address that. There will never be mention of this character again. Cause it has to be a good enough reason that it will not be mentioned again. So, but at the same time, you might as well just say that to the camera, right? Exactly. And so they basically just spend the first three minutes being like, "Look, Keanu's <laughs> not in it, but her new boyfriend's great." Yeah. Um, so, uh, Debont said that the character in the sequel was not specific to Reeves and could be played by any young actor as long as they had chemistry with Bullock. Um, now, again, many actors were considered to replace Reeves. So this is this is kind of interesting because um, there was it was like you'd think they'd go back to that well of like, well, maybe we get one of these like what's Stephen Baldwin's gotta be clamoring for this now. But the, right. the people they go with, uh this usual suspects, you don't want to do that. This list of four is wild. Um John Bon Jovi. Yes, <laughs> Christian Slater. Yes. Billy Zane. No. Of course. And Sandra Bullock's pick, Matthew McConaughey, who passed on the role after reading the script. <laughs> Did the others not pass on the role? <laughs> they all pass on the role. <laughs> Do they all play the guy? I mean, maybe John Bon Jovi wouldn't, but I don't know. Uh so prompting her to uh suggest Jason Patrick, who no, she had worked John with. John Bon Jovi was busy on the phone with Troy Duffy. <laughs> Uh, anyway, she she he didn't call John Bon Jovi. God damn it! Do your fucking job. <laughs> uh, she suggested Jason Patrick, who she'd wanted to work with after seeing him perform in After Dark, My Sweet in 1990. Uh, Debont was skeptical of a feature of featuring a relatively unknown actor such as Patrick, but was reminded by the studio that Bullock and Reeves were relatively unknown prior to Speed. So as long as Speed Two is good, Patrick should work. Um, Reeves was not unknown when they made Speed. Absolutely he'd not. even forgotten, maybe. Yeah, but he's like, not unknown. Was not unknown. Um, here's, can I say something about Jason Patrick? Sure. 
is that like I first no. heard of him while <laughs> hey, all right, probably not. Thanks, guys. You can follow me on Instagram at. Uh, um, is that like I hate watched uh, Entourage for three seasons and Jason Patrick shows up in one of them, and like that is the only exposure I've ever had to Jason Patrick. So my question is. Was Jason Patrick a movie star? He, he so I don't think I've so, ever seen him in anything. He, he decided to cast him off of Sleepers. His performance in Sleepers was what made John DeBond. Like, he can do that's that. That's a good movie. I haven't seen that either. That's um, a great movie. But Patrick, Patrick was apparently paid. <laughs> he was apparently God paid damn. about six million dollars for his role in Speed Two, um, and he used his salary to finance a 1998 drama, uh, "Your Friends and Neighbors" with Ben Stiller and Aaron Eckhart, which is a movie about like five couples all like cheating on each other with each other. Um, oh, that's great! Which was actually the first movie ever reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> When the site was set up in 1998, so it was the first rotten movie. Yeah, it was the first one. Um, so he spent about, about fresh. He spent oh, about. I love. The, can I just say the um, the critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes for <laughs> your friends and neighbors? What is it? Though it may strike some viewers as cold and unpleasant, <laughs> your friends and neighbors is an incisive critique of sexual politics wrapped up in a scathing black comedy. It sounds like this just wants to tell you that it's cold and unpleasant. Yeah, and on a budget of $6 million, which is about what he made from the movie, uh, this movie made 4.7. So basically, Patrick and Bullock are both being in Speed 2 Cruise Control for essentially free so that they can make something else. So both of your leads like, reason don't, to work. don't want to be there. And the director is only there because right. he's contractually obligated to be there. And the writer has been ousted. They're looking past. In, instead, the writer has yeah. been replaced with a Frankenstein draft of the second Die Hard movie and a nightmare <laughs> that the director had. Like it's absolutely like you took such a fun, cool elevator pitch movie and you've literally stripped it away of anything that was ever redeemable about it and it's just people cashing a check and existing and saying fuck this thing holy yeah <laughs> that's wild so um wow there's a lot of story to speed two i'm <laughs> cheating looking at just the wikipedia so so so, so get ready here um one of my favorite one of my favorite little things is that glenn that's plummer uh, who was cast as Maurice in the original uh, has a cameo in the second movie where his boat is hijacked by Alex. Be, he's, and that's Patrick. He's, that's Jason Patrick. He's, yeah, oh, he's the, guy, yeah, yeah, he's the the Jaguar guy. Gets yeah, Jason Patrick jacks the Jaguar guy's boat, and he's like, "Oh, this boat? Are you kidding me, man? Come on!" And it's uh, yeah. It's it's the equivalent of like their their uh, Back to the Future like manure, you know, like it, right. this guy's yeah. cosmically <laughs> tied to I, uh, having his vehicle taken by these jerks. That's I am hundred percent turned. <laughs> I turned this movie off when uh, when he's signing to that deaf girl and she says, "By the way, I'm 15. <laughs> 
I was like, um, I'm done with this shit. So, so here's so here's where it gets a little more fun. So he had sort of pitched this idea to the crew as like, guys, we're gonna film this in West Palm Beach. Everybody move down there, get apartments. We'll film on the beach for a bunch of time, and then we'll all go live on a cruise ship, and we'll all film on the cruise ship for a few weeks. It'll be the chillest production you guys have ever been a part of. And the crew is all like, hell yeah. And so a bunch of the crew move down to West Palm Beach. Um, and principal uh, photography begins in September 23rd, uh, 1996. Um, Kyle, how old were you? I was about three, uh, two and a half, three. I, I had just turned three. I was five. Whoa! Wow! Whoa, fucking fucking, right, fucking right, great! Right, over right? here, I was going to kindergarten, baby. Uh, Jesus Christ! Now, however, due to uh, like they don't go into, I could not find any. I, I it must have been personal issues. I couldn't find any details on this. But however, due to unforeseen shooting schedule issues with Patrick, production did not take place in West Palm Beach for other than just a few days of establishing shots. So all these guys like moved down there and they never did it. They ended up filming in Miami for two weeks in a rundown gymnasium and boat hangar that they had uh, that was rented by Fox. They had to spend fifty five thousand dollars preparing the facility. And then the city of Miami still wanted to charge them all this money to rent it. And they were like, no, we had to we like brought it back up to code. And the city like they got a huge lawsuit with the city that they had to like settle out of court. <laughs> over like shooting in this shitty and everybody on the crew was like it's the worst building I've ever spent like two weeks in so everybody was like yeah we'll be living he pitched his like we're gonna go shoot on the boat in the water all day and then go party all night <laughs> like, they're, like, in an old gym <laughs> so everyone's pissed um, and speed to uh, is set aboard the Seaborn Legend. So once they're on the movie, they rented it for six weeks of production. That's the boat. Yep. Uh, so it was rented for six weeks at $38,000 a day and the ship served as the <laughs> a day. A day. Yeah. Uh, the ship served as the film's primary setting and provided accommodations for the cast and crew. Uh, the evacuation sequence was among the first films uh the first scenes filmed on the ship and was shot in Key West, Florida over a two week period uh, with the cast and crew living on the boat. Uh, approximately 30 hoses and the ship's fire sprinkler system were used to simulate the heavy rainfall of the scene. Uh, and apparently like they, the cast and crew talked about how like you're not supposed to get this kind of boat that wet. And so everything was just like mildewy and like kind of soaked for like the rest of the time they spent in the boat. Like they basically shot this first and then ruined the boat the rest of the time that they were in it. <laughs> I feel so far from talking about how cool the bus stuff was. Right? Don't you miss like, the bus? I understand. I can empathize with Sandra Bullock being on that boat on like day 10 being like, we shouldn't have. Well, so done this, this is why I wanted to talk about it as two parts because you have to talk. If you just talk about speed two, you're like, oh, that's crazy. But it's like, if you put it yeah, in context of speed one, you're like, wait, no. And it gets so much fucking crazier, bro. So, uh, Severe weather conditions from Hurricane Lily delayed production activity on the ship for five days and caused seasickness seasickness among the cast and crew for the remainder of the production at sea. 
So people that weren't seasick at all had such a like fucking terrible experience on this boat for five days of being locked on the fucking boat that they can't that like it. Sh- they fucking hate boats now and they have to still shoot a movie on boats and be seasick for two from, months. From what I understand, no boat shoot has ever gone well. It's no. never. Um, so except for Soderbergh's. So to make the ship appear faster, like I said, all exterior shots uh, were filmed from moving vehicles and then scenes on a bridge were filmed on a mock-up dubbed as the bridge ship with a large scale reconstruction of the bow and bridge built on top of the hull of a cargo ship. Um, Additional ship interiors were filmed at Sony Picture Studios in Los Angeles. Uh, And a lot of the crew was, you know, mad. They were like, why didn't we start filming this stuff in LA before we all moved? Like, they were all just mad about how the shoot was like scheduled and, and set up. So the final scenes were filmed uh, in the town of, of uh, Marigot San Martin. And uh, for the climactic scene uh, of Speed 2 Cruise Control, the ship crashes into the island. Right. That was the scene from his dream uh, originally. So so the, the plot of the movie is that William Defoe is a bad guy. He was a computer programmer for this big shipping company. The company fucked him out of his He's program. Got boy He's got probably bo- plenty of boy toys in the do not disturb room. Um, and he plans to have the ship hit this big oil tanker. They're able to get the ship to not hit the oil tanker. But then the ship is pointed at the city. And so, oh, no, and that's sort of their like, you know, third act heightening thing. Right. Uh, so the climb, that's their L.A. subway. So the climactic scene, I, I this is going to be a sentence I have to say right now for the climactic scene <laughs> where the scene crashes into an island. DeBont wanted to actually destroy an actual town. <laughs> he, uh, and here's the thing about towns <laughs> is that. The t- towns. You can't just build a town. Well, no, here's the thing. It's like if you're spending thirty-eight thousand dollars a day on the boat, a town seems like nothing. So uh, you're already if you're playing with boat per day money, you can get some town per forever money. So do- you're like, what if we hit them right at the the Seven Eleven? The locals, will, no one will care. Hit him right yeah. dead in the yeah, town. Let's just fuck up the Maldives, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, no. You know that at one point he went to the captain and was like, you see that town? Hit it. I'm thinking for next Monday, we're going to shoot a scene where I'm thinking you hit that, hit the fucking shit out of that town. So you he just- opted against miniatures uh, or CGI to provide oh, a... You do a, you do a big old town. To provide a sense of realism for the actors and the audience. Um, so ain't nothing more real than a town. So he spent five million uh, building a thirty-five building set that was constructed on the edge of Marigot San Martin, based on the town's local architecture. Uh, so a fake town. So he, he built added town. he added on a fake town, which was about double it about doubled the size of the real town, I believe. Um, Pussy. And he said that that was also where they housed their production offices, which you know they thought was really cute. Um, but despite Debont's reason <laughs> for choosing Saint Martin for filming. <laughs> So it's crazy that like he's halfway into shooting his dumb fucking speed sequel and he's deciding he's like, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, like I need a town to hit with my boat. 
So, so it was a game. So if you'll remember, he picked this area specifically because he was like, there's no way a hurricane will hit this place. Well, he, yeah, again, just involved with, with Twister. Right. So he knows, he knows weather. <laughs> Uh, he really but, got big right, on storms. Despite Devon's reasoning, uh, a hurricane struck the town just days after they had finished construction, uh, and concrete he was, was removed. Cinematographer was not good at predicting <laughs> hurricanes. Now, concrete boat destroying a town uh, movie. Concrete um, reinforcement pieces and structural elements were removed from all these buildings and replaced with sand-covered balsa wood, so that the buildings would crumble more effectively after being hit by the rail ship. Um, so basically, not only did this like destroy this, it fucking leveled this five million dollar town that they had built. So they built it again. <laughs> This time, rigging you it. You destroyed my town. <laughs> I could destroy my town. So this time, it's even more expensive and takes even longer to construct because they they rig it with hydraulics so that it will like all destroy like on cue. <laughs> you know, though, that at at some point he was like after the storm, he goes. Now, I want to point out again, the real town is still there. <laughs> that has been is unencumbered by the storm. Well, I should we say, don't have to build another one. I think we go back to plan A and destroy the real town. I should say that they also, in addition to hydraulics, they used explosives for the second town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you can't just use hydraulics. We're gonna blow this fucking shit up this time. Um, yeah. So filming the final scene with the rail ship was initially delayed. Uh, oh, well, so th- this second mock-up of the ship was created for when it for when it slams into the into the island, um, and it was basically put on this uh, giant rail, and this giant mock-up bow weighed 300 short tons, which is 270 tons, uh, and it sat atop a set of wheels along a thousand-foot track built 60 feet underwater, and the filming of the final... A short ton? Sorry. A short ton is what? I don't know. 300 short tons is 270 tons. I don't I, Short ton must be like a, a nautical weight thing, maybe. I don't know. But a short ton is more than a ton? No. Because they're 300 right, short tons to 270 tons. So it's a little bit... I don't, right. I don't know why it's significant, but anyway... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was worth stopping uh, so for. Filming the final scene with the rail ship was initially delayed because it could not be hoisted back onto the track because the waves had knocked it off in the hurricane. Now, since they only had one shot with this, uh, the scene was filmed using 14 cameras and the rail ship was traveling at 50 feet uh, per meter at the time uh with debris from the destruction uh 50 feet per meter i'm sorry i don't know let me let me take that back so we can edit it out i don't know what that means um i don't know why i wrote that uh the scene was used the scene was used using 14 cameras uh and the mock-up was powered by four diesel engines and pulled by a large chain at a speed of 18 miles per hour uh, the scene's three planned collisions were aided by explosives Consider and hydraulics. Than the bus. Yes. <laughs> so this five-minute scene 
cost $25 million to produce. Roughly a quarter of the film's entire budget and the set records as both the largest and most expensive stunt ever ever filmed. Now, Kyle, you're the only one who's seen this, right? All the way through, yeah. Yeah. You've yeah. Is it no? Is it all up it there? Like, I mean, no. Yeah. It looks like it looks like miniatures. It should have been miniatures. Yeah. It yeah, should have been yeah. miniatures. It's stupid. Um. It's totally not. It's one of the biggest wastes of money I've ever seen. And the fact that this scene alone is almost the budget of fucking Speed is Ugh. insane. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. For five million more, you could just make speed. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> right. the underwater scenes where Alex swims underneath the ship uh, were filmed in the tongue of the ocean off the coast of New Providence in the Bahamas. The, the filming location was chosen due to its water clarity. However, after viewing dailies, DeBont felt the water was too clear. So reshots were done with divers <laughs> above the camera with handfuls of sand dusting it into the lens. Yeah, I see what you mean now about about sort of this is where his technical mind it's gone is becoming he's a lost he's like oh i can solve this problem and this problem and this problem it's like well you can't solve yeah. the problem that this movie sucks um yeah it seems like none of his concerns are about and again i, I can't speak to the, the story itself but i would imagine it's not really working um but like it seems like his all his concerns are about what um is technically being achieved on camera and not necessarily uh you know, we're talking yeah. about the story less on this sequel than we are on the on the original. Absolutely. On the original, we're, we're much more engaged with the plot. But like, it seems like he was really more just interested in being a second unit director for the entire movie. Yeah. Now, to provide yeah. a sense of velocity in these underwater scenes, uh, and because the crew, quote, did not have a wench system available, they decided to shoot these with basically Patrick hooked up to a harness that was just roped to a car that drove next to the, like on the pier next to the Harbor and like <laughs> dragged him in the fucking water. And because he heard that Reeves did all his stunts, Patrick coming into the role was like, well, I, I'm doing all mine. So he, uh, Patrick rode a Ducati 916 in the film's opening chase sequence and almost died while performing a stunt on the motorcycle during filming. Instead of using a stunt double, DuPont persuaded Bullock, Patrick, and Defoe to perform all their own stunts uh, so the scenes would appear more realistic. The lead actors were required to engage in physical exercise sessions before and during filming, and stunt coordinator Dick Syker said that uh, Patrick's stunt work was impressive and that he's so physical, he's probably could have been one of the top stuntmen in the world. Uh, so maybe he was really good at stunts, uh, but his stunts included being dragged by a seaplane through the water, jumping onto a collapsing building, scuba diving while being pulled by a moving ship. He was also required to tread water for multiple hours at a time, and during that motorcycle stunt on the Ducati on the second day of filming, no less Patrick flew 30 feet into the air off of his, uh, like straight up into the air off of his bike and landed in a small bush. Bullock said that the incident was so serious that Patrick should have died. But after surviving a traumatic, uh, and, and she had issues because she survived a traumatic surfing accident as a teenager. So doing a movie in the water for her was like super stressful. And she actually, Actually, had to go through a bunch of therapy to even like be able to do it and then 
after overcoming her fear of water, there was a scene where uh, they were filming and Bullock got smacked into the side of the ship um, and was saved by Patrick from like going into the propellers. Like she was going to fall into the propellers and he saved her um, like while filming. And so like people's like lives are like at stake making this movie that nobody wants to even fucking make. Right, and it's yeah. like you're gonna throw the Sandra Bullock into a fucking meat grinder, and nobody's even gonna see this thing. That like Sandra Bullock and Jason Patrick are there so that they can make other movies, and Willem Dafoe is there so he can be in a movie with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah. So, um, according to Bullock, she was, and they're like each other away from propellers. A court of Bullock, she was uh, she she was proud that she had performed all of her stunt work and that her stunt double only worked for three days during the production um, of all of her stunt related incidents during the production. DeBont said that the most frightening thing of all was when a stunt woman was hit in the face by a boat cable and required reconstructive surgery. <laughs> following the production I mean, at that's sea, not funny. That's following the production at Jesus. So following the production at sea, John DeBont said that filming on the water was 100% more difficult than he imagined and he wouldn't attempt it again. And that is the story of Speed and Speed 2 Cruise Control. I kind of now want to see Speed 2. Because I didn't know they destroyed a town. A town that they had to rebuild to destroy. That they like sure they <laughs> built a town twice just so they didn't have to destroy a town. It sounds like he wanted a town that he could like walk through and destroy himself like Godzilla style. Like he, he wanted, wanted it not flimsy so it would just break, and then literally the hurricane came and just like Broke nothing. It. Yeah, it seems like this may have worked. Uh, look, I, I, it seems like at a certain point, a speed two was going to, it, it had to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like the problem was that, that a guy who had said all he needed to say with this kind of premise was coming back and had this become some sort of an, you know, the way that the alien movies became almost anthologies with a central character. You know how it's like, what if there was one that was a Ridley Scott movie, one that was a James Cameron movie or a Fincher movie that like had someone else come in, had Joss Whedon directed Speed 2, had, uh, you know, I I don't know who is being called in 1990, whatever, but like, you know, 97, but that's a Brian. It seems like the, the Mike, it seems like the concern is that the, yeah, like a Brian Singer or Brett Ratner even like it at least like what speed needs is a very specific personality telling the story. And the guy was just out of shit to say. So he just wanted to show off or or just wanted to, to execute technical work instead of tell the next story. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he was like, he, he really attacked the project. Like I said, like a DP where he was like, okay, right, how can exactly. I destroy this? I'll make this look really intense and cool. And I want them doing all their stunts so I can shoot yeah. them this way and make it look really real. And then, Oh, the water's too clear. I got to change the water. I got to adjust this. I got to adjust that. And he's not, like I said, he's not adjusting 
what made the original movie work. My big take, I kind of said earlier about it was like if Speed 2 had been a better movie, then it would have been the better franchise over Die Hard, you know? Um, I think Speed itself, it's just like, it's sequel aside has stood the test of time as something that's like imprinted on pop culture in this like insane way where it's like every... uh, there's like a whole workaholics episode that's a spoof of, of like speed and like speed itself is like its own kind of genre now with like 88 minutes and all those other movies that are about like, all right, we have like an hour to do something. And it's like this like timeline action movies where it's uh, where you're like forced to go through an adventure with a guy like that of just sort of all can be sourced back to like speed being a ripoff of Die Hard, which is crazy. Yeah, a ripoff that like eventually had to become the unproduced sequel that couldn't be produced because of too many other ripoffs. Like, I don't know of any other franchise that like ate itself that way, like a snake. Yeah, it shouldn't have tried to become one of those franchises. Yeah, it's like a, I think Triple X. Yeah, I think Triple X is the only sort of movie that tried to do that. Where like Triple X was like, what if one guy was every single action star? And uh, that, and then when he didn't want to do the sequel, they did the Ice Cube one and made it be like, all right, now it's a team of people named Triple X. And then you have to double down in the third one and you have to have your team. <laughs> and you just have like, and so what they did is they made, they got action stars from almost every other country and made a team of just like people so that no matter what any country could pay for this movie. And yeah, that's wild. I mean, I mean, I think the best ideas in speed, the best things about speed one, um, nobody who was making those choices was involved at all with speed two. So I think you lost everything that was good about it. And the only thing you still had was Fox making weird calls, John DeBont deciding on big set pieces and, you know, it just, it, it was kind of doomed to fail as it lost all the magic that that made the first movie so fun and it's watchable. It's crazy that like 20th Century Fox, in all of its effort to chase what it would mean to have a franchise, sort of got eaten up by the franchise machine. You know, like at the end of the right. day, like 20th Century Fox got absorbed by Disney. And mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. if anyone still works, they can get the franchise they ever wanted. But it feels like every time Fox comes into the equation to make something that's one of these movies, like we've covered a few of them now, too. They have an off the wall thing that are like, that's going to stick for an audience we don't think we have right now. And we need it because we need a new franchise, unlike every other right. studio with something successful. And it's like, instead of just actually listening to people who want to like care for these things and make something good. <laughs> They go, what's going to make us a dollar? And I think at the end of the day, if you care about only your dollar, you get absorbed by Disney. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you have to imagine that the reason they're bringing in that like dude who worked on, uh, uh, you know, the the Randall McCormick, like the reason they're bringing him in is because he's probably cheaper than Joss Whedon is after Joss Whedon sees it. The last movie he helped make it make 350 million well, and, then you know, Joss, like, right. and then joss whedon also like what works on the script for toy story right after that too yeah <laughs> there's just a bunch of shit joss whedon is too good and for creates, you too you know buffy and becomes joss whedon yeah 
Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is he probably reads the initial thing for speed two and is like, oh, I don't really know. I liked working with Graham Yost and, but I mean, I don't know. DeBont was the guy who brought him in originally. So I, I don't really know what happened there. And they you bring in I mean? his, like someone who eventually does cross paths with them. Like it, it does seem like there is, there's a chance there's a Joss Whedon connection in the guy that wrote the second one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, that could totally. have been like a writer's assistant, like to like one of the guys yeah. that like Joss doesn't want to actually read this script, so they pass it to somebody else to give him notes. Well, yeah, or just like he doesn't have time; he's already signed onto these things. But my other buddy could help you with it. You know what I yeah, mean? Right. But then eventually, like I don't even think that guy got to like I I, I never read anything that he was able to contribute because it sounds like they were working on a script, him and and McCormick, and then that script got kind of shoved to the side for the for the sequel of Die Hard that was sort of added right. with this with this nightmare tapped onto it. And it's mm. and I think like Keanu not doing Speed 2 is the only reason he was able to continue making like action movies, you know? Cuz if he had done Speed 2, I think Keanu as a career would have been over no matter what. Cuz uh, you can list Keanu's worst movies and they're never as bad as Speed 2. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he he kind of does sure. like make the Matrix like his his next like his thing that he's really known for next. That's you know the next time he changes the game. Yeah, yeah, it's the next time he changes the game. And then uh, after that, well, it's I, not till Man of Tai Chi. But then after that, <laughs> it, he has the ability to to say no a little more decisively and yes a little more powerfully. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I think it was like even Bill and Ted or which again, I keep forgetting we covered is like, I would imagine just him saying, I will definitely do this is what got that movie made. And that's because of the matrix. It's not because of Bill and Ted one point break, uh, you know, um, private Idaho or speed, like his major movies before pre matrix do nothing for him in terms of being like a major player because he doesn't really want to, you know, play. He doesn't want, he's, he's not a, uh, he's not throwing his dick around, right? Like once the matrix comes in, it's so massive that even he becomes aware of his value. Um, and, and I think that between speed and, and the matrix, he doesn't quite have that yet. So like him not choosing not to do speed two is not him making some big call. It's just, I don't want to work on, on that movie this year. I think it's incredibly self-aware. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think it's very but, self-aware. But from a personal perspective, not so much some like career no, legacy it's perspective. Like, right, it's right. Like, just it's don't want to. He's that never going to like look at it There's as that. But I think it was like <laughs> it was one of those things, where it was a decision that was a good decision on his part. You know, like, yeah, he was self-aware to know that that's not what he does. He knows he's not a one-liner guy because he knows he's more about the reaction. You know, and yeah. And because he didn't even really like the original script, this no. was just a really good opportunity for him. You know what I mean? Like, and, and to my point as well, to to the same thing I keep hammering is that like for him to come back to Speed Two would be to play somebody who has this kind of thing figured out now, and that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Right? That doesn't work with Ke- Keanu. Explaining stuff never works. 
Well, that's why I would argue that like the idea I had earlier is like it has to be so many buses. You raise the stakes so much that he's right. still like even out though he diffused depth. one bus, he's still out of his depth. Yeah, no, it but has if you do, like if it's one airplane or one boat or one like it's just not enough yes. to make you go, oh fuck. You it know was, what I mean? Like he can either play idiots or gods because neither have <laughs> to explain themselves. How did we not talk about like that song in the end credits? That's like a You sang it briefly. Could you, you, know, pl- like, could you sing the whole thing? Speed, speed. <laughs> <laughs> At some point go grease lightning. Speed is speed is speed. Speed. He goes, we're going for speed. <laughs> and it was like i think the mar- we're too young to really understand what the marketing campaign was but it was well kyle and i are i'm sure you're just yeah, old enough. i was yeah i was <laughs> drinking my first soda and watching the trailers yeah, for speed. you were getting fucking hammered yeah he was just reading the trades being like well i'm i'm, I'm excited that uh that 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 movie your friends and neighbors is going to get made from this you know <laughs> yeah some think it's going to be pretty cold and mean-spirited but no i think it'll be an interesting depiction into sex and and romance and love or whatever the fuck that said that's what i love as a young fucking read it again aaron aaron eckhart i did watch the trailer for that movie because i was like what the fuck is this thing and aaron eckhart is dressed like an snl character like he has this giant this giant mustache and this like bowl cut haircut he looks ridiculous aaron eckhart is the most handsome person to be in like non-existent movies yeah it's true i think like the core damn I Frankenstein. That's true. Yeah, with them, with them blades. That's the one where he Frankenstein, right? Yeah, he Frankenstein. Thank you yeah. for not smoking. Thank you for being a fucking delight. You know, that's what I got to say yeah. to Aaron. <laughs> Two face, bring the whole face. Come on. I say, I say let me sit on that whole face. Um, <laughs> Two face. I say, let me in on that whole face. That's the meme this week. The idea of me walking into a room and just seeing like you sitting on Aaron Eckhart's Our meme this week is not Aaron Eckhart. That's a Wednesday post, if nothing else. You using Aaron Eckhart as a fucking stool? He's just fucking riding that stallion thing. <laughs> fucking bicycle seat and you're... <laughs> You're roided up, baby. Oh, Two-Face. He won't have any face when I'm done with him. Yeah, when you mentioned speed last week, I knew we would eventually talk about this. Yeah, but me wanting to sit on Aaron Eckhart's face. Oh, well, guys, that was our, our episode on speed and speed, too. Thanks for the research, oh. Kyle. That was awesome. Yeah, that was yeah. great. No, this was one of those where not only had I not seen, I had no idea there was a problem. This yeah. isn't listed on lists. This isn't listed on anything. I was just yeah. looking up something else about another sequel, and they mentioned the stuff about the town, and that's what I started looking at, and then I found out all the weird <laughs> diehard stuff, and so I think this is a pretty original uh this is an exclusive. this is a I, I, yeah. I dug it up. I put it together. 
I feel like we yeah, are breaking no. news that this was a problematic Breaking news. The only person who's not, it isn't breaking news is that stunt woman whose face got reconstructed. She's listening to the pod like, this is what I've been talking about. She listens to the pod. We're going to get one new subscriber this week and we'll know. Yeah. Please come on the pod. So Richard, Richard, I hate to ask, but what are we doing next week? Um. So... I had like a lot of ideas mulling around in my head. Um, <laughs> there was some that were pretty exciting, some that, uh, that, that, that Spike were screaming about, but uh, the whole concept of like a studio building a town to be sort of destroyed, get me interested in uh, one of my picks, which is a gangs of New York. What? Wow. Never oh. seen it. Oh, I, uh, it's the most Richard Core Martin Scorsese movie you can ever see. I feel, I feel <laughs> such relief. <laughs> I've never seen it, so I'm really excited. It's one of my Scorsese. Uh, wow, uh, yeah, black, black black patches where I haven't I haven't gotten to see it yet, so I'm excited. It's it, I, it it's that's such a great pick because it's Scorsese is one of those guys similar to Spielberg where it's like how is it that it's been hard for him to make movies his entire career yeah for and like right, well, I was right. looking up some stuff on Gangs of New York uh, and I found like an article from what the movie was dropping and them talking about how bad it was <laughs> but like uh, no, but it was still, like it's like how it would like at that time he was like the king still. And even Scorsese talking about like what when they were like oh when they finally let me make Wolf of Wall Street it's like. What are you talking about? They didn't just say yes. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, I, I for the Irishman, I cast Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Joe Pesci and Harvey Keitel and Ray Romano and Bobby Cannavale. And I finally got it made. And it's like, yeah, wait, that wasn't an immediate like that's such a great entry point, because I'm sure it's we're going to bring up Scorsese yeah. a few times throughout the show. So and that was like <laughs> they're just I, sitting I, in I, rooms like we got to hear this pitch from this hack Marty. Yeah, I just thought like <laughs> it was. Gangster movie with some old motherfucker. Yeah, it's hard for like Scorsese to make movies, and this is the only one that felt like one that didn't feel like a no brainer to say yes to, like right yeah. off the bat too, with what has to go on with it. But yeah, we'll talk more about is it. it. Is it not his first DiCaprio? It is. Wow, and it's wow. it's DiCaprio's only action movie, if you can call it that. You know, it's like the only like. At- Action be true. It's the only like action. If you can, like that one scene where they catch him. Yeah, where they catch him if they can. He doesn't (laughs) do like action shit. Oh, I never. I haven't seen the whole thing. Could they? What? (laughs) I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. No, Django is an action movie, but we won't move on. He doesn't do action stuff. He doesn't do action stuff in it. He smacked a table, and then people made memes about his blood for ten years. So that's an action (laughs) movie. Yeah, I just want to say, guys, on record, it's fucking disgusting that he wiped his blood on another actor's face. That wasn't real blood, but we are talking about uh, what is it? Revolutionary Road. I'm looking. What are we watching next week? Gangs of New New York, York, baby. Yeah, all right. That looks good, too. Exciting. Mm-hmm. So, guys, uh, thank you movie. to listening uh, to this very long episode about Speed and Speed 2 Cruise Control. Uh, we appreciate it so much. 
Uh, I'm Kyle Anderson. You can follow me um, on uh, Kyle Anderson Comedy on YouTube or Instagram. Uh, I, I'm Richard Humphrey. You could follow me at Rich Neasy on Twitter or Instagram, uh, or you can just uh, add me on PlayStation. Maybe we'll play some together. I'm a Pepper Jack fan. You can find me on Instagram at HG Spike. And thank you to Van Foley for our intro music. You can see his new EP on all sorts of streaming services called. It is so good. Uh, what is it? Got the whole room looking at me. It's pretty awesome. Yep. It's dope. So check that out. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye, demons. Bye, demons. Bye, demons. <laughs>